Welcome back. Time to grab your board, swim out into the sea of ideas, and see if you can uh, catch up with uh, Matt Hines, who is moving quickly today here. I don't know if we should admit it, but uh, he got a, his plane landed moments ago. He got a police escort into the studio. Very important guy. Just made it in time. Uh, two of those four things are true. <laughs> I did just recently land, um, and I made it in the nick of time. Uh, welcome, everyone, to Sales Pipeline Radio. Yeah, so I started my day this morning. As, as most of you know who either listen to this show live or listen to the, to the, to the podcast version, I mean, we do this live every Thursday at 11.30 right. Pacific, 2.30 Eastern. And so that means that the cameras roll. Like, we, we, actually, we should think about doing the yeah, anyway. I think so. Um, we have to do this live. And so literally, uh, as of wait, 54 minutes ago, I was still sitting on an airplane trying <laughs> wow. to get off the airplane at SeaTac. I started my day in Cleveland, of all places. Wow. Had a 5.38 a.m. Eastern Time flight to Chicago and then getting back from content marketing world where we spoke yesterday on sales enablement and sales content. But uh, excited to be here. And I think that sales enablement content, sales enablement framework will be relevant for our guests today as well. But uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us today. Uh, if you're joining us live, thank you so much. Uh, our live audience continues to grow. It astounds me that people in the middle of the business day are willing to listen to us prattle on about sales and marketing. Uh, if you're listening to us on the podcast, thank you very much for joining us. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever fine podcasts are sold, and every episode of Sales Pipeline Radio, past, present, and future is always available at salespipelineradio.com. We are featuring every week some of the best and brightest minds in sales and marketing. Today is absolutely no different. I am really excited to feature today Melissa Madian. She is the founder of TMM Enablement Services. She is the, and this is this is self-proclaimed, but this is her headline on LinkedIn, uh, Paul. She is the chief fabulous officer, a sales enablement frontiers woman, a customer experience maniac, and a modern marketer. And I can tell you for sure that four out of four of of those things are absolutely true. Melissa, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, thanks for having me, Matt. I'm so excited to be chatting with you today. So we got a, a lot of things we can cover, and we'll have a lot of time to get into that. But my first question definitely is, it, it, I've known you long enough now that I, I, I can say that you are absolutely a chief fabulous officer, but what exactly does that mean? Well, it just means bring in 100 and a bajillion percent of awesomeness to everything that I do. I mean... It's a no-brainer. I'm just fabulous. I'm doing jazz hands right now. Unfortunately, it's radio, so you can't see it. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, I, you know, I think I met you initially when you were at um, at Oracle. You were there for quite a while. Stayed through some of the Oracle yeah. days, and so you've seen some of the early days of sales and marketing technology, and in particular, seen really the evolution of what is what we think of as sales enablement. But I think you more broadly and appropriately also include customer experience enablement as part of that. Talk a little bit about how you've seen the evolution of this concept of sales enablement. Talk about what you think, what you'd see that means and how does that now expand to include customer experience as well? Yeah. So I'd say that sales enablement, I, I fell into it. I think like a lot of, a lot of folks do, they fall into sales enablement through a, 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 a function of necessity and um, accident Happy accident uh, at Eloqua, as you know, I um, sort of started the function of sales enablement and that morphed into customer experience enablement because essentially there's, there's this, this um, disconnect between sales and customer success and customer experience in that there's, there's this function that's so hell bent on acquiring new customers 
And then there's sort of this handoff between that function and the function that's designed to keep those customers and grow those customers. And what's, what I found interesting over the course of, of my career to date is that so much is focused on acquiring those customers and sales training and, and making sure the sales team is, is really uh, very adept at acquiring new customers. And then we kind of forget to enable the same folks that are also uh, keeping and growing the customer base in the same way that we're, or a very similar way that we're, um, we're enabling the sales team. So sort of the evolution that I've found of enablement is you can't just focus on one side of the customer buying process and experience process. You have to enable all sides. So from sales all the way through to your customer success organization, essentially the entire customer lifecycle, uh, acquiring new customers, keeping them and growing them. So this term sales enablement has been around for maybe a couple, three years. I mean, not crazy long time. I, I think that sometimes in our little echo chamber of, you know, B2B sales and marketing tech uh, conferences and groups, we didn't take for granted that it exists. I was at uh, Content Marketing World yesterday and did a presentation on sales content that sells. And one of the questions was, what the heck is sales enablement? Like, what is this thing you keep talking about? Um, so I'm curious, like, how do you... How do you how do you define the word enablement and what does that mean as part of this? I know a lot of sales organizations say I don't need to be enabled, thank you very much. So what does that what does that mean in layman terms? What does that mean in an operational sense? What are some examples maybe yeah. you can give on what what what's how that where that's done well? Yeah, my definition that uh, that I adhere to for sales enablement is it's providing your uh, revenue generating functions with the process tools and training that they need in order to be successful in closing more business faster while mm -hmm. also maintaining a great customer experience, particularly in the B2B world, uh, uh, especially the SaaS world, you need to build customers for life because at any moment in time, they can, they can flip the switch, turn you off, go to somebody else. So, um, so it's a broad reach. What I found over the course of time uh, not a lot of time. I mean, like you, you said, sales enablement hasn't been around that long. It's morphed from sales training to content enablement. So marketing has a little bit of play in sales enablement. Uh, some folks think of it as operations type stuff. And really, it's everything. It's, it's everything that, uh, that somebody who is responsible for generating revenue at an organization, everything um, that they need to do in order to be successful, sales enablement uh, encompasses that. Love it. We're talking today on Sales Pipeline Radio with Melissa Madian, who has been around the marketing technology space as pretty much as long as anybody. Spent uh, years and years at Eloqua and is now the founder of TMM Enablement Services, helping companies with sales and customer experience uh, enablement work. Who should own this, Melissa? I mean, I've seen, you know, sometimes marketing owns sales enablement, sometimes sales owns sales enablement. I think, you know, about three years ago, three and a half years ago, we did our first state of sales enablement benchmark report. Not only could we not really use the term sales enablement because it was so new, but we found that in many cases that those functions were being owned by the product marketing team uh, for better or worse. So how have you seen that evolved and who should be owning sales enablement to get the most out of the opportunity? My uh, strong opinion is that uh, the sales enablement function should report up into sales mm. uh, because your, your customer uh, for sales enablement, your customer is the sales team uh, or is the revenue generating team. So that, uh, depending upon the reach of the sales enablement uh, function, so in previous companies at Eloqua, at, uh, at Vision Critical, uh, I had responsibility for 
enabling everybody who was revenue generating. So that included sales. It also included the customer success team. But that function, the head of that function, um, had oversight over both sales and customer success, at least the folks that were um, uh, that were responsible for interfacing with the customer and trying to, to grow and, and retain that customer base. But having said all that, from, from a traditional sales enablement perspective, my strong opinion is that it should report up into sales because that is who your customer is. Now, having said that, that sales enablement function has to be really good friends with marketing, really good friends with product marketing, really good friends with sales operations. Your sales enablement function builds all of those bridges between those departments because the function can't succeed without those really strong connections to, between those folks that are also responsible uh, for providing materials to sales to be successful. I love that perspective and I love your rationale for it. I think, um, you know, one of the reasons why I've, I've, we've encouraged a lot of marketing teams to embrace, if not own sales enablement is because, I mean, you and I both know an awful lot of marketing teams still today kind of operate as the glorified arts and crafts department. And so, you know, embracing something like sales enablement really not only helps to sort of change where they're focused and change the culture, but really drive a more specific focus on revenue responsibility for those marketing organizations. Have you seen examples of where that's worked? And if so, what are the cultural implications of making that organizational uh, type possible and make it work? Yeah, so I, I love me my marketing department. So don't get me wrong, my my strong opinion about sales enablement sitting under sales is not a is not a slight on marketing. Um, my uh, uh, so to answer your question, I have seen sales enablement roll up into marketing and it worked perfectly fine. Uh, the it works when the sales enablement function that rolls up into marketing is also very sales focused. So con- creates those connections between the sales department. Um, the danger uh, but with a sales enablement function rolling up into marketing is that uh, well, it was twofold. One, it could be perceived by the sales organization as, well, they're just marketing. <laughs> so depending upon the attitude and the culture of your organization, they may not take as much stock if that sales enablement person's rolling up into marketing because it's just like, ah, it's something else marketing sending me, I'm, I may or may not pay attention to this. Um, but the, the other reason, too, is if it's rolling up into the sales function, there's, there's just a, a sort of a cultural perception that this sales enablement function is there for the sales team versus being um, sort of materials that they need to do. It's sort of a weird little cultural perception, but mm-hmm. um, salespeople like to feel like they're number one and they are being loved. And when you have the sales enablement function that's responsible for helping these folks roll up into sales, it just it just sends a sort of a, it creates a perception of they're here for me versus it's another department that's trying to give me stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that a lot of those some of those obstacles, which are very which are real and, and are valid, come down to sort of how the culture internal organization works. If, if the marketing Absolutely. has been perceived as activity based versus results based, it's going to be hard to, sh- to move that ship. It's going to be hard to change that perception and for them to, you know, for a company to take sales enablement seriously if it's coming from marketing. I, I want to ask you, though, of all these things, and I think you're, you know, the independent of who owns it, like the, the approach, um, I think, is spot on. But how do you measure it? How do you know that sales enablement is effective? What are some of the measures of success or key metrics you should be looking for to know whether it's working? Yeah, so measures and metrics is, is a tough one. It, it really is. And I know a lot of sales and professionals struggle with this 
because there's sort of, there's the soft stuff. So uh, sales, their skills are improved and they're closing more business. So there's sort of an extension of, well, because of all the great enablement and training they've received, uh, they were able to close more business or get to club faster or whatever it is. Those are all very soft metrics. And it's, it's not something you can kind of defend your position if you're at a point where, hey, I might lose my job if I don't prove my value. And that's, not going to be good for me. So um, I'm a fan of taking a look at um, things like uh, for new hires, for new sales hires, time to first or second deal. Actually, I'm a big fan of time to second deal because it shows that whatever enablement programs were put into place is actually helping that new hire. Uh, First deal, it could have been a bluebird. Maybe it was already sitting in their territory. They didn't have to do much. But second deal takes a little bit more effort for a new hire. So I'm a big fan of that when it comes to things like onboarding programs. Uh, But for ongoing, uh, tie whatever the ongoing enablement is. So say it's a new product launch. Tie the, the new product launch in your CRM and track how they've been taking their training on that new product launch against the opportunities that are generated against that new product. So then you can actually have some real data on, hey, we, we rolled out this product training and now we've got X amount percentage of our pipeline uh, in new pipeline has been generated associated with this product. And you can sort of start to tie the training and the enablement that you do to do those kind of things. But the key is leveraging your CRM and starting to tie those little pieces together. So let's talk real quick about, uh, before we got to take a break here in a couple minutes, the the tools that are best used to help and enable and to automate uh, sales enablement. And, you know, if you if you want to endorse particular tools you particularly like, that's fine. I'm more thinking about, like, what are the categories of tools? What are the functions that you've seen most most regularly drive some of those sales enablement results and, uh, and key metrics? Yeah, so I... Um uh, well, first of all, you need to have your CRM. So if, uh, if all of sales, I had a, I've had a couple of sales leaders say if it's not in the CRM, it doesn't exist. So um, sales enablement should be uh, positioning anything that they do tied into the CRM because that's where you want your sales team to operate. You want them in there. You want them putting deals in there. You want them uh, getting materials that they need from there and not having to go to other systems. Uh, there's a lot of great content from, from the marketing standpoint, a lot of great content marketing uh, platforms that allow reps to go grab things easily. And I, I know a lot of sales enablement professionals, myself included, have leveraged content marketing platforms for internal enablement uh, in addition to the external stuff that marketing is doing. Just because you've got one platform, may as well use it for everything. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I will tell you that as an enablement person, I am not a fan of LMSs, of learning management systems, mm-hmm. because I feel that, that the co- constraint of LMSs are are not conducive to how salespeople operate day in and day out. Uh, you you want your sales team in your CRM. You want them closing a ton of deals, filling their pipeline fast, and whatever materials you provide to them from an enablement standpoint, it should be delivered to them in the system that they're operating in. So any systems that are uh, really well connected to the CRM uh, that give them the training that they need, but don't constrain them to an, an LMS type construct. I'm I'm a fan of those types of systems. Love it. We're going to have to take a quick break, pay some bills. We've asked with more with Melissa Mady, and we're going to be talking not only about sales enablement, but we're talk about customer success and customer experience enablement. Curious what she thinks of if those things are different and how that gets enabled and how you balance what you're focused on acquisition versus the full customer lifecycle. We'll be right back here on Sales Pipeline Radio. 
The way we do business is advancing faster than ever before. Yet amongst the disruptions, there's one pillar that stays standing through it all, the power of a relationship. Relationships are at the core of everything. So how are today's organizations developing, nurturing, and leveraging them to drive success? Join Matt Hines and Sigster's VP of Marketing, Justin Keller, for the on-demand webinar, The State of Relationship Marketing, and learn how your team can bridge the gaps between relationships and revenue. Listen now at HeinzMarketing.com. That's H-E-I-N-Z Marketing.com. All right, back to the one man who enables these sales conversations to take place, Matt Hines. Thank you very much, Paul. You know, last week we had uh, we talked a little bit about college football, and at the risk of bringing up college football, Paul. <laughs> ouch! Um, ouch! Don't go better. there. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, it's uh, so Paul, our, our great producer, he is a Michigan alum, and last week Michigan did not have the best first week oh. uh, in the history of college football. Horrible. Um, a good friend of mine, though, yesterday he he put me up on a uh, he had he he's, he does a lot of video content at conferences. And he's a University of Texas alum, like a diehard University of Texas alum. And he says, "What's your one big feed, you know, you know, piece of feedback and one big, uh, you know, piece of advice from content marketing world?" And I couldn't help but I said, "Like, don't schedule Maryland week one. This is your over two now." It's just, and he was, he was so upset he was shaking. Yeah. Like, well, you'll notice that I'm wearing my Irish shirt today because I've switched sides. I'm going to vote for the Irish the rest of the year here. That's great. Well, uh, that actually might serve you well. There's a very high, there's a very strong chance that uh, Brandon Winbush is better than we all thought he would, and might actually lead the Irish into the playoffs. There so you go. We'll see. Well, uh, th- th- this is a great way we talk about college football, kind of after the break, way to date each of these episodes. But I hope you're enjoying this, ep- this episode today, Sales Pipeline Radio with Melissa Madian. Coming up in the next couple of weeks, we got some great additional guests. We have next week, we'll be featuring David Lorenzo. He's the author of the new book, The 60 Second Sale, The Ultimate System for Building Lifelong Client Relationships. So very excited to have him come on and talk about that book and what he's learned in his sales career. And following week, we have very excited to have Anil Call. He is the CEO of Absolute Data. We're going to be talking talking about data intelligence, data insights, and just how to better manage your data across the entire customer lifecycle. And speaking of that customer lifecycle, Melissa, I want to have, I'd love to have you talk a little bit about how you encourage companies to balance acquisition and, you know, customer lifetime value and customer experience. Because I think a lot of marketers put so much focus on acquisition and then, you know, on the customer experience side, it's a toll-free number in a a randomly sent email newsletter. You know, how do you sort of evangelize that and where, how do you encourage people to make that uh, balance? Yeah. And uh, I like the term evangelize because I I do feel like we're still in this evangelical phase of of customer lifetime value and and customer experience. Uh, it's, uh, It's, it is a bit of a struggle because the folks that tend to care about acquisitions sit in an entirely different part of the business than the folks that care about retention and um, and growth and growth of the customer. And uh, whenever I come into a client, my my big thing is, okay, we can focus on on sales enablement right now, but tell me who is responsible for growing your existing customer base. Because quite honestly, uh, I worked at one company where, if they really looked at it, about 65% of their pipeline and their growth over the next year could come from their existing customer base. Mm. And uh, that's, that's a tremendous amount of opportunity. Uh, and the folks that were responsible for growing that customer base weren't actually salespeople. They were customer success folks. So you're putting this burden of, 
of really understanding how to run a, a growth-type deal with folks that don't necessarily have any selling experience and don't necessarily want to have a quota or have selling experience. So organizations, I find, need to take a little bit of a look at themselves in the mirror and go, okay, how do we want to structure this? Do we want to keep these, these organizations entirely separate? Do we want to have um, a sort of a, an account manager type, uh, customer success account manager type hybrid role? Uh, do we want to have separate account managers that are solely responsible for a growing business? and having customer success managers um, be separate so that the customer success folks can truly focus on the success and the, the retention of the business. But then you've got folks who are a little bit more sales skilled focused on that. And depending upon what the organization wants to do, then your enablement path uh, and your plan is, is very different. So um, it's not as simple as whatever I'm doing for the sales organization, I'm just going to do for the customer success organization because their roles and responsibilities might be slightly different company to company. Yeah, that is for sure true. I heard some, uh, there was a CEO at a conference that was out a couple weeks ago said that he thinks that sales is a uh, lagging indicator uh, of customer success. And I think that was an interesting yeah. way of thinking about it, that you know, as you become a mature business, as you drive success, as you drive loyalty and evangelism from your customers, that greases the wheels of the sales process moving forward from a net, from a net new standpoint. I feel like, and maybe this is just me, but I feel like I just, I interchangeably use the terms customer success and customer experience. Um, I, you know, I've heard people, customer loyalty, are they different? How are they different? You know, how should we be thinking about the prioritization of those things and how to compartmentalize them the way we're, we're sort of doing it right. Yeah, I, I like you use them interchangeably because to me, the entire customer customer success will come from making sure you have a, a thoughtful customer experience. Mm. Um, so yeah, so I, I tend to use the the terms interchangeably. But they, what uh, what you really need to think about, and and this is uh, what I'm finding with sales organizations, is you have to use the term customer experience a little bit more on the sales side because they are so focused on acquisition, quite often they're not thinking about what happens after the deal closes. And that drives me up the wall. I, I remember being with um, one sales team and I, and I heard one of the younger sales folks say, well, you know, once I close the deal, I just hand it over and it's services problem and I don't care about it. And uh, I like whipped off my shoe and wanted to hit it because <laughs> I was like, I can't you can't operate in this kind of market and not think about what's happening after the deal closes and was the integrity of the deal that I sold, uh, was it solid and will this customer have a great experience after this deal closes and do I even know what that experience is and can I even leverage that as part of my sales process because maybe the post-sales experience is awesome and the sales organization should be talking about how awesome that post-sales experience is. So uh, to me, the the organizations really need to think about the entire customer experience, the entire customer life cycle, and then how do you actually enable all those folks that are playing a part along that life cycle with the right training and materials and messages so they can speak as one brand and speak to the value all across the board. 
So we we know from our research that you know the the state of sales enablement continues to increase and mature, and more and more companies are putting time and focus into sales enablement. But I imagine a lot of people are listening to this, and in the last you know, twenty three minutes, they've already heard an awful lot of overwhelming and perhaps intimidating things um, that you know represent where sort of a more mature sales enablement function might be. But let's say we're getting started. Let's say we're sort of trying to figure out what that function means, no matter where it sits in sales or marketing. How do you get started? What are the right first things to do to create a foundation of sales enablement? And and customer experience enablement success moving forward? Yeah, so um, the, the first thing to start with is as an organization, you, sales needs to know the answers to three key questions. Uh, what it is I'm selling uh, and what, what value does it bring to an organization? What, uh, who cares about that? So who cares about the, the, the problem that you are solving by your, your platform or service or whatever it is you're selling? And how do I go about selling it? So what's, what's sort of my process? And um, are there tricky things I need to do at an organization? Or do I run a deal a certain way or whatever my sales process looks like? So if you just know the answer to those three questions, even if you don't have a sales enablement function, you're already in pretty good shape to making sure your sales team knows what they need to know in order to be successful. So what am I selling? To whom am I selling it? And how do I go about selling it? Then when you think about what do you need to do to start to put a sales enablement function in place, and whether that's a standalone function, whether that's you carve out some time, if you're a small enough organization, you just carve out part of your sales leader's time to, to devote to these things. But it's essentially um, knowledge. So pillar number one in enablement is knowledge. And knowledge is what, what am I selling, um, personas, who am I selling it to, um, what's on the truck for me to sell, what's not on the truck for me to sell. So all the things that I need to know about my business and, and what it is that I'm actually executing out in the market. Then the second pillar in enablement are sales skills. Uh, do I need help with negotiations? Do I need help in having phone conversations with folks? Uh, and do I, do I need to train a small group of my folks on how to, have, uh, how to do effective presentations in front of folks? So sales skills is sort of your, your um, second pillar. And then your third pillar are process. Uh, if you're a very process-driven organization, I used to work at Oracle once the Alco acquisition happened, it's a lot of sales process that we have to train people on. If you're a smaller organization, process may not be as important or you may not have as stringent a process, but there's probably certain mechanics of a deal that you need to get your sales team up and running on so that everybody is running a deal in the same way and you're processing it effectively and it's going through the proper legal channels and all that sort of good stuff. Uh, so those are sort of the three key pillars, uh, knowledge, skills, and process or behaviors. Great place to start. We got one more question here really quick for Melissa Madian, proud Canadian chief fabulous officer. If you want to learn more about her, you can go to melissamadian.com. We'll put a link to that. Ta uh, yeah, our producer, Paul, is giving me the we got to wrap up sign, but I want to ask you the last question we give to everybody. Real quick, who are some of the people that have inspired you along the way? Who are some of the people you've read? It could be managers. They could be dead or alive. One or two people that have been particularly inspiring and helpful in your business. Okay, so I don't want everyone to start laughing at me and thinking I'm a cheese ball, but Walt Disney. Hands down, Walt Disney and the Disney organization and how they think about customer experience and how they think about creating customers for life um, from when I was a little kid all the way to now. Uh, the, the, the Disney idea is, has always been a massive inspiration to me, not just in, in how they structure things and create customers, but just the idea of having fun. You know, it shouldn't mm -hmm. always be, you know, serious business. And yeah, we have a lot of serious business to do, but 
it should also be fun. You know, humans are interacting with humans. And, you know, as a salesperson, I, I want to buy from somebody I like and that I think likes me. So, um, yeah, Disney's been a huge influence on my on my life and in my business. Love it. Want to thank our guest today, Melissa Madian, joining us. We'll have uh, this episode of Sales Pipeline Radio up on salespipelineradio.com if you'd like to listen to it again, share it with your friends. We'll have a transcript version of this up on heinzmarketing.com in about a week and a half. Make sure you join us the next couple of weeks as we get more guests, authors, speakers, uh, thought leaders, people that are leading the way in B2B sales and marketing. For my producer, Paul, this is Matt Hines. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time on Sales Pipeline Radio. You've been listening to Sales Pipeline Radio, brought by good folks at Matt Hines Marketing each and every week on the Funnel Radio Network for at-work listeners like you.